the fun they had. Margie even wrote about it that night in her diary. On the page headed May 17, 2155, she wrote, Today Tommy found a real book. It was a very old book. Margie's grandfather once said that when he was a little boy, his grandfather told him that there was a time when all stories were printed on paper. They turned the pages, which were yellow and crankily, and it was awfully funny to read words that stood still instead of moving the way they were supposed to on a screen. And then when they turned back to the page before, it had the same words on it that it had had when they read it the first time. Gee, said Tommy, what a waste. When you're through with the book, you just throw it away, I guess. Our television screen must have had a million books on it, and it's good for plenty more. I wouldn't throw it away. Same with mine, said Margie. She was eleven and hadn't seen as many telebooks as Tommy had. He was thirteen. She said, Where did you find it? In my house, he pointed without looking, because he was busy reading. In the attic. What's it about? School. Margie was scornful. School? What's there to write about school? I hate school. Margie had always hated school, but now she hated it more than ever. The mechanical teacher had been giving her test after test in geography, and she had been doing worse and worse until her mother had shaken her head sorrowfully and sent for the county inspector. He was a round little man with a red face and a whole box of tools with dials and wires. He smiled at her and gave her an apple, then took the teacher apart. Margie had hoped he wouldn't know how to put it back together, but he knew how all right, and after an hour or so, there it was again, large and black and ugly with a big screen on it, which all the lessons were shown and the questions were asked that wasn't so bad. The part she hated most was the slot where she had to put homework and test papers. She always had to write them out in a punch code. They made her learn when she was six years old, and the, man, and the mechanical teacher calculated the mark in no time. The inspector had smiled after he finished and patted her head. He said to her mother, It's not the little girl's fault, Miss Jones. I think the geography sector was geared a little too quick. Those things happen sometimes. I've slowed it up to an average ten-year level. Actually, the overall pattern of her progress is quite satisfactory. And he patted Margie's head again. Margie was disappointed. She had been hoping they would take the teacher away altogether. They had once taken Tommy's teacher away for nearly a month because the history sector had blanked out completely. So she said to Tommy, Why would anyone write about school? Tommy looked at her with very superior eyes. Because it's not our kind of school, stupid. This is the old kind of school that they had hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Margie was hurt. Well, I don't know what kind of school they had that time ago, she said. She read the book over his shoulder for a while and then said, Anyway, they had a teacher, sure, they had a teacher, but it wasn't a regular teacher, it was a man. A man? 
How could a man be a teacher? Well, he just told the boys and girls things and gave them homework and asked them questions. A man isn't smart enough. Sure he is. My father knows as much as my teacher. He can't. A man can't know as much as a teacher. He knows almost as much as I, betcha. Margie wasn't prepared to dispute that. She said, I wouldn't want a strange man on my house to teach me. Tommy screamed with laughter. You don't know much, Margie. The teachers didn't live in the house. They had a special building, and all the kids went there. And all the kids learned the same thing. Sure, if they were the same age, but my mother says a teacher has to be adjusted to fit the mind of each boy and girl it teaches, and that each kid has to be taught differently. Just the same, they didn't do it that way then. If you don't like it, you don't have to read the book. I didn't say I didn't like it, Margie said quickly. She wanted to read about those funny schools. They weren't even half finished when Margie's mother called. Margie's school. Margie looked up. Not yet, Mama. Now, said Miss Jones, and it's probably time for Tommy, too. Margie said to Tommy, Can I read the book some more with you after school? I should certainly do it said Sherlock Holmes. I started at the interruption, for my companion had been eating his breakfast, with his intention entirely centered upon the paper, which was propped up by the coffee pot. Now I looked across at him to find his eyes fastened upon me with half-amused, half-questioning expression, which he usually assumed when he felt he made an intellectual point. Do what, I asked. He smiled as he took his slipper from the mantelpiece, and drew from it enough shag tobacco to fill the old clay pipe with which he inv invariably rounded off his breakfast. A most characteristic question of yours, Watson, said he. You will not, I am sure, be offended if I say that any reputation for sharpness which I may possess has been entirely gained by the admirable foil which you have made for me. Have I not heard of debutantes who have insisted upon plainness in their chaperones? There is a certain analogy. Our long companionship in the Baker Street rooms had left us on those easy terms of intimacy when much may be said without offense, and yet I acknowledge that I was nettled at his remark. I may be very obtuse, said I, but I confess that I am unable to see how you have managed to know that I was asked to help in the Edinburgh University Bazaar, precisely. The letter has only just come to hand, and I have not spoken to you since. In spite of that, said Holmes, leaning back in his chair and putting his fingertips together, I would even venture to suggest that the object of the bazaar is to enlarge the university cricket field. I looked at him in such bewilderment that he vibrated with silent laughter. The fact is, my dear Watson, that you are an excellent subject, said he. You are never blasé. You respond instantly to any stimulus. Your mental process may be slow, but they are never obscure, and I found during breakfast that you were easier reading than the leader in the times in front of me. I should be glad to know how you arrived at your conclusion, said I. I fear that my good nature in giving explanations has seriously compromised my reputation, said Holmes, but in this case the train of reasoning is based upon such obvious fact that no credit can be claimed for it. You entered the room with a thoughtful expression, 
the expression of a man who was debating some point in his mind. In your hand you held a solitary letter. Last night you retired in the best of spirits, so it was clear that it was this letter in your hand which caused the change in you. This is obvious. It is all obvious when it is explained to you. I naturally asked myself what the letter could contain that might have this effect upon you. As you walked, you held the flap side of the envelope towards me, and I saw upon it the same shield-shaped device which I have observed upon your old college cricket cap. It was clear then that the request came from Edinburgh University, or, for some, or from sub, some club connected with the university. When you reached the table, you laid down the letter beside your plate, with the address uppermost, and you walked over to look at the framed photograph upon the left of the mantelpiece. It amazed me to see the accuracy with which he observed my movements. What next? I asked. I began by glancing at the address, and I could tell, even at the distance of six feet, that it was an unofficial communication. This I gathered from the use of the word doctor upon the address, to which, as a bachelor of medicine, you have no legal claim. I knew that, that university officials are pedantic in their correct use of titles, and I was thus enabled to say, with certainty, that your letter was unofficial. When on your return to the table, you turned over your letter and allowed me to perceive that the enclosure was a printed one. The idea of a bazaar first occurred to me. I had already weighed the possibility of it being a political communication, but this seemed improbable in the present stagnant conditions of politics. When you returned to the table, your face still retained its expression, and it was evident that your examination of the photograph had not changed the current of your thoughts. In that case, it must itself bear upon the subject in question. I turned my attention to the photograph, therefore, and I saw it at once, that it consisted of yourself as a member of the Edinburgh University Eleven, with the pavilion and cricket field in the background. My small experience of cricket clubs has taught me that, next to churches and cavalry and signs, they are the most debt-laden things upon earth. When upon your return to the table, I saw... You take out your pencil and draw lines upon the envelope. I was convinced that you were endeavoring to realize some projected improvement, which was to be brought about by a bazaar. Your face still showed some indecision, so that I was able to break in upon you with my advice that you should assist in so good an object. I could not help smiling at the extreme simplicity of his explanation. Of course it was as easy as possible, said I. My remark appeared to nettle him. I may add, said he, that the particular help which you have been asked to give was that you should write in their album, and that you have already made up your mind that the present incident will be the subject of your article. But how, I cried, it is as easy as possible, said he, and I leave its solution to your own ingenuity. In the meantime, he added, raising his paper, you will excuse me. If I return to this very interesting art article upon the trees of Cremona, and the exact reasons for the preeminence in the manufacture of violins. It is one of those small outlying problems to which I am sometimes tempted to direct my attention.